This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Before we get into today's episode, we would like to acknowledge and pay respect to the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation who are the traditional owners of this land. We pay our deepest respects to the elders past and present and to the next generation who we hope to create a different future for. The best career advice that you are not getting is to invest. Hello and welcome to Your Ingle Company, a podcast that makes investing accessible for everyone. I'm Maddie and as always I'm in some very good company with my co-host Sophie. Hi Mads, I'm obviously very excited for today's chat because we are talking to Google's very first Australian employee, which is such a cool opportunity. <laughs> who also happens to be Spotify's first Australian employee. So it's safe to say we absolutely pick her brains on how she did it. Imagine just like having that on your resume. (laughs) Google, first employee. I don't think you'd have that. You'd probably just say what your role was. (laughs) So today we are very excited to sit down with Kate Vale. As Google's first Australian employee and former managing director at both Google and YouTube ANZ, Kate grew the business from zero to 500 million in nine years. Kate then launched Spotify as managing director to become the number one streaming service in Australia and New Zealand, leading both businesses to IPO. Today, she's a co-founder of Aliavia, a California-based firm focused on early-stage venture capital investing in US and Australian-based female founders building world-changing enterprise and consumer tech companies. We are so excited and so honoured to have Kate join us all the way from LA today. Welcome, Kate, to your own good company. Thank you very much. Thanks, Maddie and Sophie. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So, Kate, we want to get to know you a little bit. So what's the best thing that's happened to you in the past week? So it's actually been a pretty horrible week because um, my mum ended up in hospital in Australia. Oh, no. Um, and when you live so far away, it's it's not it's not nice going when someone you love and someone who's dear to you is, is ill. So I've spent the whole week contemplating whether to go back. And then I got the good news on Friday that my mum left hospital and is actually recuperating. So that's probably the best thing that's happened to me, sadly, all week. (laughs) Yeah, fair enough. Very glad to hear that she is okay. I can't imagine being so far away from home. That's not nice at all. No. If you could have dinner with anyone, who would it be and why? So I'm a massive... Uh, music junkie uh, and I love the Foo Fighters and I love Dave Grohl. I followed him I followed him for oh, over a, dec- a decade now and it was the one thing when I worked at Spotify the only w- person that I really wanted to meet I met so many amazing musicians and I never ever got to meet him <laughs> and wouldn't you know like as soon as I leave Spotify the whole team in Australia get to hang out with Dave Grohl. <laughs> It's like, thank you very much. Um, I just think he's he's so talented. He'd have so many great stories and he's incredibly funny. Um, So that's that's my pick. When we first got introduced to you, I think that you were at Coachella at the time. And I must say, I was very jealous. (laughs) Yes. Yes, I was at Coachella. I I try to go every year, actually. It's It's a great festival and it's a good time with a bunch of friends. And if you could be a stock or company, who would you be and why? 
Not many right now. I mean, let's face it, stock market's not looking great, but I am a massive uh, health and fitness fan. And I think during uh, times like this, when when there's lots going on in the world around us, then maybe maybe I'd like to be Calm, the Calm app. I know a lot of friends who've picked up using Calm over COVID during the pandemic, and I know it's helped out a lot of my friends immensely, helping them sleep and relax. So that's mm. what I would say. That's definitely one that Maddie and I adopted over COVID and we would talk about like our streaks of like meditation and stuff and we became a little bit addicted. So it's a good company to look towards. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And and how about Headspace? Have you used Headspace? Yes, I have also used Headspace, although I have to say I downloaded Calm because Harry Styles had a recording on there and I just wanted to listen to him when I was meditating. <laughs> so that's what really pulled me over that's the fair, line. That's fair, fair. So, Kate, Google is one of the biggest and I guess most well-known companies in the world, which I think for so many people would probably be a bit of a dream job. So we would love to hear the story about how you came to be the first employee in Australia. And I guess also, like, what was it like in the early days? Okay, so where to start? Um, So I I started out in digital uh, in about 97, so kind of I feel like I'm ancient saying that, but but a long time ago, probably before you guys were even born. Um, and you know, right before the, the stock market crash, the tech crash as well. Um, so I've seen the highs and lows, um, but luckily that I actually did get into this industry pretty early on. Um, and so you could say in many ways, I was a, a digital veteran, particularly in Australia. And I worked for quite a few media companies, but one right before... Google was a company called LookSmart and they were a local search engine. Not many people, many of your listeners have probably even heard of them, but they were doing quite well back then. Uh, and it was really pre-Google days that they they took off, but it was a days of like AltaVista and other, other search engines. And I was sitting at my desk one day and I got a call from their head of international. It was when you still had desk phones. Uh, so it was hard to talk, but managed to get his number and call him back and and found out that they were looking to open up an office in Australia. And they wanted people who had uh, experience with search advertising. And really, there weren't a lot of people with, with that kind of experience. And I had been doing that for a number of years. So jumped on a plane and did all of the interviews. And they were very long interviews uh, in, in at Mountain View. And back in that time, which was 2002, there was only about two or 300 uh, staff at Google in, in Mountain View. You know, one, one small office, one floor, and very different to, to the Googleplex that you see today in Mountain View. And was lucky enough to land the job. And you know, I remember thinking to myself, if I get this job, I, I, know, I just knew it was going to be life-changing. And it was in the days before people really knew what Google was in Australia. I remember my mum saying to me, Google, Google, what? Google, what? What is that? So, and and I, I knew because I'd been working in the space that uh, there were a lot of brands and we'd just gone through that downturn. A lot of brands and, and agencies were spending money on search advertising because it got them a good return on investment and they could track where, where their money was going and how it was performing. And we were selling it on a cost per click rather than a cost per thousand, which many other media houses sold by. So lucky enough to get the job. And then look, I mean, when people say, what was it like? Um, Can you believe it? In September this year, it's actually going to be 20 years since I took that job. 
um, and a lot has changed in the company. But I was incredibly lucky to get in at that point in time. I learned from some of the best tech execs out there um, and was lucky because the company was so small at that time that I had direct access to some of these incredible executives. Um, but I also learned a lot how to, how to scale a company very quickly. Um, Google moved very quickly. Their revenue numbers grew very quickly. They sort of became someone or a, biz, a company overnight. Um, and it was amazing to be a part of that ride. And also we worked incredibly hard to, to get to where we got. And even though I always, I always say to people, we did work very hard. I have to say we played hard as well. We, we like to have a good time. And, you know, it's a big motto of mine that if you're in the office and working long hours, you've got to be enjoying it and you have to do it with a smile on your face and, and, and have fun. So we did work hard, but we also played very hard. Um, and we, we built a fantastic culture in the Australian office very early on that still exists today. Hindsight is a beautiful thing. And we obviously know now where Google sits and its success. But in those early days and after such volatility in the tech market, how did you know that you wanted to move from something like Look Smart where you were into a company like Google? Was it established in the US or did you have a gut feeling? Yeah, I mean, firstly, you never join a company unless you love their product. Um, and using a, the Google search engine was just phenomenal compared to any other search engine out there. Um, I mean, I couldn't believe some of the things I would type in and some of the things I would find. It was just incredibly relevant. And, you know, finding articles that, you know, were 15, 20 years old and, and you know, facts and stats that you just couldn't get on any other search engine. And so I knew because the product was so good um, and, it, and it was far more superior to any other search engine out there that I knew it would gain usage very quickly. Uh, and I saw what was going on in the US with Google and, and in Europe as well um, before it even sort of launched in Australia that, that it had a huge uptake in, in usage. Uh, and, and the fact, again, that it, they were selling on a, on a, different, a different sort of basis to, to brands, I knew that um, brands and agencies in Australia would really take to it like they did in other markets. And so I just knew it was going to be an Australian success story. Uh, and I really wanted to be a part of it. So after eight years at Google, you then became the first employee and managing director of Spotify Australia and New Zealand. You talked about then really wanting to sort of love what you do and love the product. So what was it that really attracted you to Spotify and sort of, I guess, encouraged you to make the move? Yeah, I mean, there, there are quite a few things. I mean, first and foremost, I have a deep love of music. Um, and it's pretty obvious, even the discussion we've already had so far today. And I was, I was very lucky to, to get access to Spotify, an account, probably before anyone else in Australia, because I knew one of their early investors who I'd worked with at Google. And he messaged me and said, I've, I've invested in this company called Spotify. You should check it out. And he gave me an account. And again, talking about before when you've really got to love the product, if you're going to work at a company, because you've got to ultimately believe in it and sell in it and and live in that world every day. I couldn't believe what I was doing. I could not believe that there was such a thing as streaming music and I could literally type in any artist and anything would come up and the quality of the music was insane and it was instantaneous. You know, I'd lived in a world, I'm, I'm a little bit older than people who never paid for music, but, you know, I'd lived in a world where there were downloads 
um, and, you know, getting charged per song or per album and it would take ages to download and then the days of Napster and illegally downloading music. And so this was just a, a, a great experience for, for a consumer to be able to go and, and listen to music in a in a mind-blowing way, you know, com- it completely revol- revolutionised the way people listen to music and the way they consumed it. Um, and so th- the other thing that really attracted me to them was the fact that there were a lot of former Google execs there. So uh, Google execs that I'd worked with and really respected and looked up to at my time at Google had, had chosen to move over there and I was lucky enough to start my time at Spotify working for some of these execs. It's so funny. The other day I was cleaning out one of my desk drawers, my old desk drawers, and I found my little iPod, like I don't even know what you would have called it, but it looked like, an, no, it looked like a USB stick. Oh, the shuffle. The shuffle. <laughs> oh yeah, the shuffle. Yes. And I remember being in like high school, like early days high school and like downloading music and like plugging in my USB. Anyway, the music is still on it and it's <laughs> some serious tunes. Well, that was when you couldn't pick the song. You just had to yeah, shuffle and hope you just had to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but now you can sort of categorize your music, you know, like I've got different playlists for different things and I don't want people to look at a, at the music, all the music I play and say, oh, my God, I can't believe Kate listens to that. But if I classify it in my techno gym list, yeah. then, uh, you know, I don't feel so bad about it. They know why I'm listening to that track at what point in time and why. So there's no need to be embarrassed. From, I guess, the iPod shuffle to now Spotify, which is, you know, something that a lot of people rely on to listen to their music. The tech industry has really obviously changed. And now we're in kind of this post-COVID world where we're more reliant on technology than ever before. From your experience and throughout this journey, how have you seen the consumer technology industry change? I mean, it's changed in, in many ways. I mean, I think about what I do and, you know, I think screen time has gone up enormously over, yes. over COVID. Um, <laughs> yes, we're just, and, and, and in every way, it's um, smartphones, TVs, you know, it's, I mean, who would have thought back in the time that you could manage your entire life on a handheld device? You just never would have anticipated that. And so, you know, we've seen all of these companies like Apple and with the iPhone and, and Samsung kind of shifting to, to keep up with screens um, and even Samsung with TVs. We've seen a lot of development there in the last few years. But also in, you know, the wider use of, of gadgets so people really pushed out their normal routines um, and were adapting to new behaviours over COVID with you know, distant work and classes on Zoom or apps. Um, I mean, Zoom obviously um, really surged and boomed during COVID, but so did companies like Slack that existed before but found a whole new purpose for, for their product during during COVID. And then, you know, I, I don't know about you, but I probably spent more time watching TV <laughs> and you know, new series over over COVID than I did with anything else. So, you know, that, that goes back to the, the screen time, I guess. But I think also what, what I did um, is I really picked up uh, my use of, of wearables and, and things because I was just so interested in my health and fitness and wellness. So I am absolutely obsessed with my sleep patterns um, and I've passed that on to many of my girlfriends. I've got a, a um, WhatsApp group over here with all of these Australian girls that we keep in touch. And we, the first thing we do every morning is sleep is send our sleep data to each other. 
Um, I love that. It's good motivation to get a good night's sleep. <laughs> it is, but it's ridiculous how it can actually set how your day is going to be. Yes. Um, you know, if you didn't know your sleep data, would you actually behave yeah. that way? I, I'm not sure. But I know that if I've got more than two hours deep sleep in a night, I am literally fist pumping the air and I can start <laughs> the day on a really positive note. Um, and if it's really low, and th- that might not be good for me. But I tell you, the other thing that it's done is it's really made me think about what I put into my body before I go to bed. So I love a glass of wine at night. One glass of wine can completely shift my sleep patterns. One glass. Oh, don't tell me that. Yeah. You know, it's information I don't want to know. So let's not track our sleep. <laughs> I know. And so it's depressing. But what it has done is it's made me have a couple of days off a week so that I do, I can enjoy that deep sleep um, for a Balance. few nights. Isn't that really bad? A few nights, but for a few nights during the week, maybe maybe more than that. But, but I think it's really important that that can, it allows you to self-analyze what's going on with your, with your body. And then the other thing is, and um, we're not going to show anyone this, the video that we're on, but I've, I've actually got like a glucose monitor on as well. You know, and that's another piece of wearable. And I, I've, I just did this about a week and a half ago and I've realized that I cannot go out for a night at, with dinner and drink cocktails all night. So I can have one cocktail <laughs> and it'll be fine if I have any more than that, like my glucose levels completely spike and I'm out of the range where I'm actually burning fat. And then I was fasting every day from, well, from nighttime at dinner until about lunchtime and I had no idea what it was doing to my body, but I can see through the device that my glucose levels drop substantially um, during that time. And so that's really fat, fat burn time. Um, and then the other thing I learned was also when you eat a piece of fruit to have a piece of fat. So, cause it brings it down. So whether that's a quarter of a teaspoon of peanut butter or some nuts or whatever, or avocado, um, yeah, having fruit's good for you, but making sure you balance it out with something else is also important. Anyway, I'm getting carried away talking about everything that I'm doing, but. No, it's so interesting. I think we've spoken a lot about like med tech and the, how that industry has changed so much over this time. So it's kind of cool to like see how you're using it and the examples that are like relevant to your life. And then of course there's steps, you know, all the steps you take and I track every workout I do because I've got a minimum of 700 calories a day. So you know, it's like if I haven't done that, that many calories at five o'clock at night, then I go for a power walk. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was also guilty of one of these purchases during lockdown. I bought my Apple Watch and I have to say it was really kept me accountable during all those sort of times that were locked inside. It got me out. It got me, I guess, really thinking about my health in when I had more time to do so. So it can definitely relate to that consumer trend that you're talking about there. Reflecting on your time at both Google and Spotify, are there any sort of parallels that you can draw between both companies that you think were really pivotal to their success? They both changed an industry uh, and they were both first to do that. So with Google, not only was it a better search engine, but it allowed marketers to buy incredibly targeted keywords that were bought as a cost per click. And then at Spotify, it was changing the way people consume music forever. Um, so it it was really interesting at both of those companies. I, when, when I bought them both to Australia, no, I didn't bring them, but I, (laughs) I launched them in Australia. They were both unknown and it took a while to educate the Australian market on two different 
ways of doing things, um, particularly with music because it was a real shift in the way people were used to doing things. Um, but the fact that they were both first to market and are still leaders, it says something about them. I think they both adapted very quickly. They both pivoted and changed when they needed to. Um, and they managed to keep up with the times. I don't think they were ever, I mean, of course, everyone's fearful of competition, but they always managed to hire brilliant people that could launch and, and develop and you know, come up with new ideas and products pretty quickly. The other thing also is just the, the, the culture, the culture in both those companies. They, they hired really great people who like to collaborate with each other. And I hadn't seen that before in any other companies that I worked for. Everyone was in it together. Yeah, well, you mentioned before that it was coming up to, what, your 20-year anniversary if you had stayed with Google. Do you think there are still a lot of people that, you know, are a part of Google and, and Spotify that were there in the early days and are still really carrying that, you know, key vision through the company? Not not many. I think it's really different working for a company in early stage because you really do feel like you have a lot of influence over what's going on in the team and with the product and how we communicate with customers and how we market the product. And as a company grows, and I'm not saying it's less exciting, but it's probably more exciting for people that like that way of work. But for me and for the early starters at both those companies, I think we really enjoyed the fact that we were part of something that we were growing and we could, we could help make change if we needed to, if we wanted to pretty quickly. I mean, that to me, that is just the ideal time to join a company. If, if you want to take that risk, because it does come with a lot of risks, it's usually lower pay, but, but higher equity, but you've got to be in a position to, to want that and to, to have that risk appetite. Well, I think that leads us very nicely onto the second part of this episode, which is all about investing in startups and your experience in that space. But we are going to take a quick break for our sponsors and we'll be right back to get your thoughts and insights on spotting investing opportunities in the tech industry. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. In case anyone thought you hadn't achieved enough already, today you are living in California. You are the co-founder of Aliavia Ventures. I could go on all day about the incredible work that you're doing with this fund, but I think it's probably best that we hear it in your own words. Can you tell us a little bit about Aliavia Ventures? So my business partner, Marissa Warren, and I met probably in 2019 when she moved from Australia to, to Los Angeles. So we are both Australian girls uh, living in the US. 
Um, and we met through a mutual friend uh, and we hit it off. Then when COVID hit, I my role that I had at that point in time was actually made redundant pretty quickly. And rather than dwell on it, I was thinking about what I could do next. And I never really wanted to work for another corporate again. And I'm not really a nine to five kind of person. So um, so Marissa and I were just chatting, which we, we did quite regularly. And we were talking about our careers and what we wanted to do next. And then we hung up one day on, on a phone call and uh, she just, she called me back really quickly in five minutes. And she said, you know what? I've been thinking about this. I think you and I should start a VC fund um, that invests solely in female tech founders. She has a pre-accelerator for female tech founders called Alavarco, and she works with female tech founders across Australia and the US. So she kind of had a lot of experience in the space and I have a lot of experience in scaling businesses. So I, I think it took me all of three minutes to say, yes, let's do this. <laughs> There's been moments when I thought, what the hell was I thinking? Um, it's certainly not easy. Um, but we've really enjoyed working together and, and getting the business to where it is now or the fund. So we are a VC fund that invests in female only tech founders, or there must be one female on the founding team who holds a significant equity position in the business and must have a C-level role. You'd be surprised how many companies we've looked at investing in where there's a female token, a token female founder who has like less than 5% of the company. That's not the problem we're trying to fix. Um, and then we invest in early stage startups and we have found that this is really where women struggle to, uh, to raise the most at this, at this time of their, 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 this stage of their business. So we're a $20 million fund, uh, US dollars that is, uh, we're currently raising and investing at the same time. So nothing like keeping yourself busy and we're, we're almost halfway throughout our raising process. So we hope to close the fund at the end of this year. And we've invested in seven companies, both in Australia and the US. So it's about 50-50 at this point in time um, in, in all sorts of different things too. So um, one is a genetic in-home genetic testing company. One is in the e-learning space. Uh, one is like a YouTube of audio. Um, the, yeah, mul- multiple businesses just in, in kind of different different walks of life. But the one thing that Marissa and I always say is that we have to have some, and it's exactly like working at a company, we have to have some sort of passion or drive for the businesses that we're investing in. We must have an interest in what they're doing and believe in the problem that they're trying to solve. And why the focus on female-founded businesses? Like we, you know, are here to always promote females, but where do you think that success is? Because they need it. So 2.7% of all VC funding goes to female-led businesses. Uh, And that's just a really pathetic statistic that needs to change. Um, They're really appalling and it's one of the reasons why Marissa and I came together is we really want to see a shift in in this number. And then there's just so few female general partners in Australia as well. Um, The US is is slightly better. I wouldn't say it's great, but we've got a long way to go there as well. Um, what, what tends to happen is men invest in men and women invest in women, but we don't see enough of this women investing in women. So th- think about all of the, the VCs in Australia. I think less, in, I think there must be 30 VCs, less than 10 of them are general partners. So if we want to see a shift in this number, particularly in Australia, we really need to see uh, the VC companies promoting women to general partners. 
uh, and giving them the ability to, to invest in women. When you are considering an investment, do you have a criteria or an investment thesis that um, you really try to meet? And I guess as retail investors, do you have any tips or anything that we might be able to take away from that to be able to potentially spot really good investments? Yeah, I mean, the thing is with Marissa and I, we invest in seed and pre-seed. So usually revenue is not top of that list, but we do like to see growth in what whatever they are, they are doing. We are lucky enough that most of the businesses we've invested in, uh, just under 50% actually, have come from Marissa's program, Alavarco. So she's had a real opportunity to work with these founders uh, for you know a good six months uh, and gets to really see under the hood as to who the, the founders are and, and what the businesses are and can give us a really good insight into whether those companies are going to be successful. We really like to invest in consumer tech because that's my background. And then Marissa's uh, background is all in enterprise technology. So she's worked at companies like SAP, Microsoft and Workday. Given that's our background, it's what we know best. We believe that's where we should be investing because that's where we can help out the most. We do like SaaS businesses. We really like that that sort of guaranteed uh, or reliable income. Uh, and that's where we have spent a lot of our investments to date. But really, it comes down to the founder. I mean, we we really want to see that the founder is passionate about what they do and they live and breathe the, the, the work that they're doing and they have a, a problem that they're truly trying to solve uh, and that we can see what they're doing uh, is actually meaningful. And we've met a lot of female founders, I think, not really in it for the, for the passion or drive and maybe just see that there's an opportunity to, to, to make money. I think we hear that time and time again whenever we do have, you know, chats about venture capital is that if you don't have the founder behind the business who's ready to go through the rough and tumble of what is building up a startup, then it's not going to make it through those initial stages. Yeah, particularly now. You know, it's going to get harder with with what we're seeing in the economy right now. So we really need to see founders doubling down and making sure that they're really focusing on revenue and they're just being really capital efficient. It's, it's so important. Speaking of terrible economic conditions, <laughs> we as retail investors have been seeing that, you know, especially in the technology space, that stocks have been hit quite hard. And for people that do invest in this space, it can be hard, you know, we speak about investing for the long term, but it can be really hard emotionally or psychologically when you do look at these downturns. And we know that, you know, you've been in the tech industry for such a long time. How should retail investors be feeling about this time at the moment? And, you know, what are some of the key trends you think that will emerge from technology going forward? So, gosh, I mean, wouldn't we all love to know and have that crystal ball uh, as you said, I, I have been through two major turndowns and one minor tech correction since 97. Um, and right now we don't really know where this is going to end. Um, you know, there's all sorts of things happening with inflation and um, you know, the, the war in Ukraine and Russia, which we don't have control over. Uh, but if I were, if, well, I am an investor, <laughs> I, I would actually be thinking along the lines of this is a, a good time to be thinking about investing, particularly if you haven't before. I I mean, the market might see further downward trend, but I mean, seriously, it's so low at the moment. I can't imagine (laughs) it not going up at some point. 
And there's some really great businesses out there, uh, good companies that are making solid revenues and solid profit that still, you know, that they've had huge downturns in the in their stock price, in their, their numbers. So I would definitely be thinking it's a time to start investing. And maybe if you've got a certain amount of money, don't do it all now. Do it over the next sort of three, six, 12 months when we maybe have a better idea of, of where we're heading. But you know, I, I honestly, I mean, I might be in a different position to a lot of other people, but I think we should be investing in companies that are really changing the world um, and changing it for the better with, and something that you're passionate about. So whether it's the environment or, you know, I don't know, if you're really passionate about health and fitness, some, something that you really, really believe in that's going to make the world a better place. So and a good example of this is my husband and I just invested in a company actually just this week um, that's built the world's first fully sustainable, so that means energy, water, and waste, transportable high-end living spaces. So really disrupting the real estate industry. Um, so imagine buying blocks of land uh, with that have no access to utilities at all and literally just it's like plug and play. You lift up, lift this up, this house in, and, and put it there, and it's fully, so yeah, self-sustainable. So, everything from your know, water from the atmosphere, turning waste into small disposable blocks, power from solar. There's literally no footprint le- left on um, on the property. If you could screw it into the ground, screw it out, and go like it's like tiny houses. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, but sustainable. Yeah. Sustainable. <laughs> Well, Kate, speaking of world-changing companies, each episode we ask our guests to add a stock or company, news, trend, industry, anything you like to our watch list. And the purpose of this really is to get us thinking outside the box and I guess broaden our horizons in the investing space. Of course, we are not financial advisors and it is just for educational purposes. But what are you adding to the watch list today? I think we all need to be investing in climate change. Um, It's just, I'm a mum. So I think about my children and the future of the world. Uh, I don't think we're doing enough in the space. I think we have the technology to allow us to, to make a change on the environment and to change where we are at the moment. But I think politically we're just globally not in, in the right place to be, do, to be doing this. So if I was uh, looking at putting some money into something uh, that I think is going to be worthwhile and life-changing, that's, that's something I'd be looking at. Yeah, we've recently hosted an event on sustainability and, you know, we sold out tickets like honestly like overnight because people are so interested in in the topic. So definitely feel that there. Kate, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on today. We wanted to ask one final question because we're here to pick your brain with all your experience. (laughs) What do you think is going to be the biggest trend that we're going to see emerge from consumer technology in the future? I mean, yeah, I guess some of those things that I spoke about earlier, just I think people taking greater interest in their own self and wearables, I think will, I think still think we've got a long way to go there. I've loved using all sorts of different wearables, as I said earlier, during during COVID. So maybe that's my tip. And what would be your piece of advice for someone who is starting out on their investing journey? Um, research. So I think it's so important for you to understand what you're doing, um, when you're investing. So whether that's taking the advice of someone that you trust who might be a financial advisor or just there's so much information online about how to invest and where to invest and how to diversify. It's all about being really smart where you put your money. It's, it's your money and your future. So you need to make sure you're doing the right thing. 
Well, Kate, thank you so much for your time today. We've absolutely loved chatting with you. If anyone wants to find out more about you or Alia Via Ventures, where should they go? Yep, we have a website, which is aliavia.vc and aliavia is A-L-I-A-V-I-A dot V-C, aliavia. It means the other way in Latin. So, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to do things differently uh, by investing in women. And then also on LinkedIn, feel free to hit me up. Well, thank you so much. It has been great and we have loved chatting. Great to meet you both. Thanks, Kate. It's good to get a little bit of perspective in terms of where tech is heading at the moment. I think we have spoken very honestly about my portfolio on this podcast and it's safe (laughs) to say I own a lot of tech. So it's nice to, you know, think that there's a long, a long road of tech ahead of us still. And if you believe in what you invest in, stick with it and maybe buy it cheaply. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, safe to say you also influenced me to buy quite a bit of tech over the last year. You did your own research. I am not accountable for this. Let me let me rephrase that. You inspired me. (laughs) Thank you. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, please feel free to share with a friend who might also enjoy and also jump onto our social media. Find us on Instagram at YIGC podcast. And we will have a thread to discuss today's episode in our Facebook group, YIGC investing podcast discussion group. We always love chatting with you there. Otherwise, you will hear from us next week. Catch you then. Bye. You're in good company is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of You're In Good Company are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Your In Good Company acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.